but right now, this morning, we're only going to cover two verses, John 16, 23 through 24, a sermon entitled, uh, Ask Him. So we're going to give our attention to the subject of prayer once again. And I, I know it seems like this is a subject we've been addressing a lot recently and uh, we've been addressing it in Sunday school and Sunday nights and our study through Nehemiah. Um, and through John, we've discussed it. I don't know if you know this, but when I, when I come to passages like this that I know it's kind of a reiteration, I, I do one of two things. I try and sort of lump it together with the passage that's, that's coming and say, well, we've talked about this, let's skim it. But when it comes to these verses and it comes to this subject, I, I think maybe just in my own personal walk and in the walks of fellow Christians, uh, I know that we, we fail to really grasp prayer often. And, and even when we are kind of revived and rejuvenated about the idea of prayer and what it is and its role in the life of a Christian, it's quick that we forget. And so the Spirit of God really uh, moved my heart to say, you know what, we need this. We, we, we need to understand what Jesus says about prayer and the role that prayer pr- plays in the life of a Christian and a Christian's joy exclusively. And so we're going to look at just two verses uh, this morning and examine this subject of prayer. And once again, a sermon entitled, Ask Him. And church, that's what we need to do. <laughs> we need to ask Him, right? So if you found your place in God's Word, would you stand for the reading of God's Word Uh, You won't be standing long, like I said. Two verses. Jesus, as you recall, is speaking to his disciples. This is the the hours before he's going to the cross. This is his final discourse to them. And here's what he says. He says, In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name, Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Father, we do thank you uh, for this tremendous promise that you make to your people. Lord, it is astounding to us that you would come and speak to us through your word in human language and that father you desire for us sinful wicked people who have no basis or 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 responsibility or effort or evidence to say that we deserve to stand in front of you in any way shape or form you desire for us to speak to you in fact you say in the the book of isaiah you desire that we would give your ear no rest and lord when we understand who you are and we understand who we are father uh, that makes this gift of prayer such a wonderful means of grace that you've given your church So, Father, I pray that we would understand this. I pray that we would be a praying people. Father, you would give us right theology and right understanding of what it looks like to be true prayer warriors in this day and age. We love you, Father, and we trust that you work through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, actually, this morning, what we're, we're coming to here at the end of John 16 is the end of a very, very long discourse that Jesus has been presenting to his disciples. If you've been keeping up, this, this discourse in the upper room started in John chapter 12, and so it's been five chapters of a discourse that we have here. And so it's a very long discourse, and this is the beginning of the end. 
And these final words that Jesus has to share with the disciples before he goes to the cross, what we have is basically a brief summary of some of the things that he's already said to them. That said, these concluding remarks are very interesting because of all the subjects that Jesus could have chosen to reiterate to his disciples before departing, he chose these particular subjects. Now, obviously, there can be no doubt that whenever anything is said in Scripture in any way, shape, or form that uh, Jesus said and taught is important, right? All of Scripture is important, but, but when we find him returning to a couple of particular subjects or themes, we must understand that those have a special place. They are of such great importance to Jesus that he determined to reiterate them one more time before going to the cross. And, and at the top of the list of important things that Jesus would have his disciples, which if you're a follower of Christ, you are a disciple, the top of the list he would have his disciples to be remembering is the role of prayer in the life of his people. So if you recall in the, in the previous passage, what we're going to do here is we're going to see what the text means in its context, and then we're just going to draw out three principles when it comes to praying in Jesus' name and what it looks like to, to pray. And so that's kind of the goal for the day. And so if you remember the context, and right before uh, it was last week, I guess, we, we read about how the disciples asked Jesus, what did you mean when they wanted to ask him, what did you mean when, when you said in a little while we would not see you and then a little while we would see you again? Remember, they didn't understand what he meant. So they, they wanted to ask him a question, but they, they didn't end up doing it. They didn't. And so uh, as we learned last week, what he's referring to, that coming and going is to the resurrection. And here in verse 23, he goes on to say this. He says, in that day you will not question me about anything. His point for saying this is that in that day, it would be obvious to what Jesus meant by those words. In that day, they would see and understand what Jesus meant. It would become obvious. They didn't have clear understanding. They were looking through the scriptures through a, through a, a, a dark glass at this point, but upon the resurrection of Christ, then they would have understanding. Now, Jesus was about to leave them. Remember this, and upon his leaving, uh, things were going to change in some dramatic ways. And let's be honest, as a people, we hate change, don't we? And so the disciples, and just picture this, trying to get your, your minds around where the disciples were. Jesus wants his disciples that, to know that things are about to change in a drastic way. For starters, they would no longer be able to turn to Jesus in the flesh and ask him questions. He's going away. He's going to the cross. He's going to the grave. He's going to ascend to the right hand of God. He's, he's going away. They have had Jesus for three and a half years now. Something drastic is about to change. He's, he's not going to be there anymore. But something else would change to, to, to them that might be just as dramatic. Let's look at verses 23 and 24 and see this change as well. He says... In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Now, it's interesting to note here that the Greek word for the word ask in verse 23 is, is different than the Greek word in verse 
24. In verse 23, the word ask means to ask about, to obtain information about. And in verse 24, it means to ask for something. Okay? There's a difference between asking about versus asking for. See, concerning that day, referred to in verse 23, the disciples would not have to ask Jesus about anything because it would all become clear to them after the resurrection and even clear at the coming of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They would have the understanding of what Jesus meant. So from this, we do well to understand that just because things would become clearer to the disciples and just because they would no longer need to ask Jesus about certain things, they would certainly and continue to have a need to ask him for certain things. That's the difference. While they would have nothing to ask him about in that day upon his resurrection, they would still have things to ask him for. They haven't done much up to this point of that sort of asking for with their time with Jesus. They haven't asked him for many things during their time of ministry. They asked him about a lot of things, but not really for. But the day would come when they would have plenty to ask him for. So the question becomes, how would they ask for those things after he's gone? And we know that answer, right? It's through prayer. The answer is prayer. And so a drastic change was about to take place. Jesus had told them before, but this is of the utmost importance. So he says it again. He tells them that they're going to have to start praying in Jesus' name. This is something we do all the time, right? This is a phrase that we say all the time, and much like many of our prayers, this has become a a phrase that just has vain repetition. It's just our closing out of our prayers, right? In fact, we oftentimes we're not we're not engaged at all in the prayer, and we're just waiting to hear in Jesus' name so we can know when that prayer is about to be over, right? But this phrase has such significance in Jesus' name. It is a tremendous idea. It means that Jesus is our mediator. He's the way we are able to go to God. And listen, the idea of a mediator between God and man, this wasn't anything new for the people of Israel, right? They understood this concept prior to the arrival of Jesus. Whenever the saints of old would come to God in prayer, they had to do so with an eye to the sacrificial system as well as an eye to the high priest as their mediator, as the shadow of their mediator. That's the way things were. Jesus is telling them that there's a change that's now coming in which they will no longer have to rely upon any animal sacrifices nor the, the Levitical priesthood. He's telling them that there's a time that's coming when the only way they will be able to have the ear of God is to pray in his name. With the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, they would then have open access to the Father. Jesus went before us to the Father and made it possible for us to have free access to him. You recognize that, right? You could not pray directly to God the Father if it weren't for the work of Jesus. That's an amazing thing to consider. This is what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. 
He says, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Remember the Old Testament, you could not go into the holy place. But now, because of the blood of Jesus, you can by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, therefore, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurances of faith. Jesus is the one who even made it possible for us to have a way to speak with God. He's the one who made it possible for us to be able to pray to God. See, friends, when when Jesus completed his work upon the cross, you all know he cried out those three words, right? It is finished. And upon his finishing work, what do we read? We're told that the veil within the temple that separated the priest and the Holy of Holies from the rest of the people, it was torn from top to bottom. What does that indicate? It indicates that God was the one who tore it. In doing so, he indicated to us that through the work of Jesus, those who have faith in him are given free access to the Holy of Holies. Free and open access to God that in prior times was limited to a high priest. Because of what Jesus did, all of us now can enjoy the privileges of priest and that we can all approach God now directly through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a part of what it prays in Jesus' name. But I want to make note of this particular thing. To pray in Jesus' name, as we've kind of said already, but we'll continue to say more. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray on the basis of his merits. It's to pray on the basis of his merits, and it's to pray in accordance with his will. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. This isn't just a phrase we use. To recognize in our moments of prayer that when we pray, we are praying on the basis of what Jesus has accomplished in his sacrificial work on the cross, dying for sinners. And we're, we're praying in accordance to his will of him being God and being the sovereign king of all the earth. So many Christians are mistaken um, that so long as they added that phrase in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer, that God would somehow be obligated to give them exactly what they asked for. Friends, first of all, you need to note that God owes you nothing. In fact, in your sinful state, what God owes you is his wrath and his anger and and punishment. But because of his grace, he's he's given you life in in Christ if you're tied to him with faith. God owes you nothing. And and Jesus' name isn't some, some mantra like a Wiccan that we just state and ask that great genie in the sky to give us things. No, to pray in Jesus' name is to pray a basis on his work in accordance with his will. It's not what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Many of these people, sadly, when they don't get what they've been asking for, what they chalk it up to is that they they just don't have enough faith. That that's the problem. Not that the prayer was wrong, not that I'm asking for the wrong things, but I I just must not have enough faith. So they pray for more faith. And they continue on to pray for these things. They they actually probably shouldn't be praying for in the first place. As I said, to pray in Jesus' name is to pray on the basis of his merits and in accordance with his will. That's what it means. When we add that phrase in Jesus' name to the end of our prayers, we're stating that the basis we have coming before God at all and praying is, in fact, in Jesus' name. You and I dare not approach God in any other way but through the way he has provided in and through his son, Jesus Christ, alone. 
There is no other way. Also, it's, it's foolish for anyone to think that they can pray in Jesus' name and by using that phrase at the end of their prayer while praying for things that are explicitly not according to his will, God is going to answer them. That's remarkable. For example, it would be foolish to ask God to bless you and to give you peace while you're attending a, a false worship at a false church. That would be crazy. Why would you go worship at some pagan or, or false church in a false religion and think God is going to bless you for that service? That would be foolish. In fact, we do this all the time. Why would you pray anything that's not in accordance to God's will? It would be foolish to do so. And how can I say that? It's easy. It's because these things are contrary to the written word of God. And friends, God does not go against his word. His word is sure, it's true, it's his testimony. And so he's not going to, to go against what he said in scripture. Not at all. Amen. It's not just a pastor's opinion. These things are contrary to the testimony of God's holy word. So to pray in Jesus' name, we must pray in agreement with what the scriptures say in certain matters. Now, we can be real about this, right? That, that not all things are cut and dry, right? Some things are, are difficult. We have to do some digging in the scriptures. But it's for this reason that we have to make sure we're not praying contrary to God's word. I think that's common sense, don't you? But once that's clear, once it's clear that it is in accordance with what God desires for us, then we pray for whatever is on our hearts. And I want to stress this. Whatever God will lay upon our hearts, we pray for with that qualification, not my will, but thy will be done. Because friends, let's be honest, we're, we don't know what God's perfect will is in every circumstance. And so even in our prayers, we must be willing to accept whatever his will is in that given area. But it is totally right to pray according to our heart. If we have a desire, if we would like to see a particular outcome, it is right and proper to pray that outcome would happen. Because God is just so gracious that often he gives people the desire of their hearts. Sometimes it's not exactly in the way we would have him and not the way we would have chosen it be, to be done, but, but God's faithful, friends. And so it is right to be, if God has given you a desire that matches up with his will and his word, it is right for you to pray for that desire that God would grant such things. And he's just as faithful to do this. This is how Christians pray. In fact, to pray apart to pray to God apart from Jesus only shows that a person has not yet come to really know God. If you think that you can pray to God apart from Christ, it, it shows that you may not really know who God is. Why is that? Well, it's because God reveals himself to man. How? Through the revelation of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God cannot be known apart from Jesus. Amen. He can't. And Jesus himself taught this time and time again. This is why it said earlier on in this gospel in John chapter 1 verse 18 that no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained, he has revealed, he has exegeted him. 
We understand God only through Jesus Christ. That was his whole point, by the way, of of coming to earth. That we might know God. Friends, I want you to notice something else about our passage, though. You'll notice that in our passage, Jesus ties answered prayer directly to our experiencing fullness of joy. And I have to say this, because I... When I think about people who are praying a lot in in my flesh, when I think about people who are always praying, oftentimes because most of our prayers are are just asking for healings and and sickness and, and curing diseases and such things, that I often envision people who pray the most as not having a lot of joy. I don't know if you're the same way. That's the exact opposite from what we see in the scriptures. The praying Christian will be the Christian who gets to experience the most joy. Why is that? How is that? Well, I want you to consider this. He's linking prayer directly to experiencing joy. Again, look at the verses that we have before us in 23 and 24. It says, In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. There is great joy to be experienced through answered prayer. Great joy. But friends, this joy can't be experienced if we don't pray. It won't. As we think about this, let's be reminded that Jesus is not only inviting us just to pray... Jesus is also inviting us to be specific about our prayers. We've talked about this time and time again, right? That we ought to be specifically asking or praying over specific or certain matters. Because listen to me, the less general and the more specific we pray, the more obvious it will be when God answers that prayer. The more glory he will receive for that answered prayer, the more joy we will receive in our lives as we see him answering these very specific prayers. When God answers that specific prayer, we experience joy in the Lord, don't we? Haven't we seen this? (laughs) Time and time again, we we probably saw it this week as we were praying for the storm to to miss us, as we're praying for opportunities to minister, if it it does hit particular places, we're particular about these things, and God answers them. I was talking to Mark Wynn, who had his heart cath on Friday, and I said, I'm going to use you in my sermon this week, because I'm praying particularly that if something's wrong, they'll find it and be able to help you, and and praise God, they they were able to to find what was going on and put a stin in his heart and and recover, and said, there, I told you. (laughs) We pray for particular things. We could go on testimony of testimony right here and now about a time you prayed specifically for something and God granted you that desire and it brought you joy. It brought God glory. But once again, it can't be experienced if we don't pray. Bruce Milne put it like this. He says, It is to be greatly regretted that too often Christians confine prayer either to such vague generalities that it would be difficult to identify on a specific answer on the Father's part or to specific requests which are so self-centered that to tag Jesus' name onto them shows a failure to understand what that sacred phrase implies. So we need to ask, and we should not be shy in specifically Asking God for things. And, and I'll give you an example. There's a model in Scripture you can go to. Specifically ask God for His kingdom to come. 
specifically asked God for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Specifically ask him to provide you with your daily bread, your daily needs. Specifically ask him to forgive you of your sins. And, and by the time you add that up, you're praying a whole lot more than you probably are any given day, right? Pray specifically that he would enable you to be able to forgive others who have sinned against you. Ask him to direct your steps away from temptation and deliver you to, uh, from evil. Ask God. It is good to ask God. Ask for godly leaders. Ask for reformation. Ask for revival in Christ's church. Ask for your children to be converted. Ask for others you know to be converted and mention them by name in your prayers. Ask for the Lord to grow you into the image of Christ in your sanctification. Ask the Lord to heal you. Ask Him to heal your marriage. Ask Him to heal your broken heart. Ask Him to meet your every need, whatever it might be. Church, you have to ask Him. We, we fail to do this on a continual basis. We gripe and we complain and we, we, we say all the things we, we, we think we need to others, but we won't ask him. And he's the only one with the power to accomplish it. Given all the needs that we have in this life, it is an absolute mystery and wonder that we don't spend more time in prayer. We, we have lots of needs. We are a needy people. And we have a God who will meet those needs. We need to ask him. One of the places I find the opportunity to experience this joy of answered prayer on a very regular basis is our Wednesday night prayer meetings right before our Bible study. What a sweet time that is, isn't it? How often do we hear that the Lord has answered our prayers about something we prayed at at a prayer meeting? And when it happens... Listen, it's a cause for joy, but it's not a cause for joy just for one person. It's a cause for joy for, for the church, for all who are in attendance, who all who prayed. It's a great source of joy and encouragement in the Lord. J.C. Ryle exhorts us with these words. He says this. He says, let the lesson sink down deeply into our hearts. Of all the list of Christian duties, there is none to which there is such abounding encouragement as prayer. It's a duty which concerns all. High and low, rich and poor, learned and unlearned, all must pray. It is a duty for which all are accountable. All cannot read or hear or sing, but all who have the spirit of adoption can pray. Above all, it is a duty in which everything depends on the heart and motive within. Our words may be feeble and ill-chosen, and our language may be broken and ungrammatical and unworthy to be written down, but if the heart is right, it matters not. He that sits in heaven can spell out the meaning of every petition sent up in the name of Jesus and can make the asker know and feel that he receives. What a glorious way to think about prayer. Some people complain all the time that they, they can't do this, they can't serve in that way or can't do that. They're not very good at this or that. But you know what? You can pray. You can pray. Every one of us can pray. Therefore, we ought. Now, as we mentioned earlier, we noted that Jesus tells us, uh, his disciples, that they will need to ask him for things. I think it's important to note the fact, friends, if we hope to receive, we must ask. If we have any hope to receive, we must ask. 
While we talked about a couple weeks ago in, in Nehemiah that prayer sure, certainly should uh, have, and there's a place for adoration and confession and thanksgiving, uh, certainly those prayers should include those things. But it's also very appropriate to ask the Lord for things. I don't want you to miss that. God is glorified in our asking because by our asking, what are we doing? By our asking, we are acknowledging our inability to meet our own needs. That's glorifying to God. We are recognizing that we are dependent upon him. To acknowledge the truth that we are dependent upon him, it, it's a glorifying thing to God. We are acknowledging that he is our sovereign father who takes care of us as his children. James plainly tells us that we have not because we ask not. So we need to ask. Can I, can I just tell you, this is where I struggle a lot of the times. I'm going to get to it in a second. If there's something you've been praying for that you haven't received yet, and you are certain it's a godly desire, can I encourage you? Keep on praying. I'm telling you, I, I can be a weenie sometimes when it comes to prayers that I don't think are answered immediately. Can I confess that to you? Is that okay? I'll still have a job tomorrow, right? That's really important, okay? Um, I, I just, I want you to know that. And I, I feel like I'm not alone. Sometimes we're weenies when it comes to our prayers. We, we'll pray for it a couple times. We'll mark that down. We said, well, I prayed for that. That's done. We, we become almost like hyper-Calvinists in our prayer lives, right? That nope, I prayed for it once. If it's going to happen, then it's going to happen. And I did what of my part. No, you're missing so much of the beauty in prayer if you do that. Pray again, over and over again. Remember what Jesus said during his Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 11. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven Give to what is good those who ask him. You need to ask. Remember the parables that Brother Bob read earlier about the friend at midnight and the widow before the judge. The friend kept on knocking at the door until it was answered. Jesus tells us, therefore, we must keep on praying. The widow kept on asking for help from that judge until he would answer. What does Jesus say? We likewise must keep on praying. In fact, here in our passage this morning, verse 24, where Jesus says, ask and you will receive, that, that verb meaning to ask really actually means to keep on asking. Keep on it. Jesus makes it clear that this, this kind of prayer, it's not vain repetition. It's not vain repetition to pray to God over those things that are continually weighed on our heart. Think of the example of Christ himself. He prayed twice in the Garden of Gethsemane that this cup would pass him. If Jesus thought he should pray twice for something, isn't it quite appropriate that if, if something is weighing heavy on our hearts, that we ought to pray more than once? Paul prayed three times before he was satisfied with the answer that God, where God told him specifically, my grace is sufficient for you. Isn't that the case often? Sometimes God answers that first prayer and we don't like it. So we pray that prayer continually until God changes our heart to accept the answer. Pray over and over again. It's appropriate to pray for things continually that are heavy on your heart. 
Instead of looking at this like some vain repetition, this kind of perseverance in your prayers, it's, it's commended in the scriptures. It shows that, that you have faith to know that Jesus is the only one who can answer that prayer. You are continually going to the right source. If that answer is going to come, it's going to come from him. God is merciful. He's, he's compassionate. Friends, he desires to give us good things. It's an act of faith to continually make your request known to God. Friends, if, you know, if there's, there's something lacking in your joy, you should know this. Jesus intends on supplying you with joy through communion and fellowship with him in prayer. Jesus intends on supplying you with joy through communion and fellowship with him in prayer. That's one of the means he set apart for your fullness of joy. He will continue to supply you with joy of answered prayer until your cup of joy is full. That's a promise. What a tremendous promise. I love this. He says that one of his goals in answering prayer is not that you just might have joy, but that your joy may be full. What a wonderful promise he makes to us, especially in light of the context. Listen to what William Hendrickson, he gives us reason to think about Jesus in this way. Listen to what he says. This is deep and it's profound, it's beautiful. He's speaking about this situation with Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, the cross with all its agonies is just around the corner. A few more hours and Jesus will give his life as a ransom for many. He knows that it's coming. Already he sees the nails as a ransom for many. He knows what is coming. Already he sees the, the, the nails that will pierce his hands and feet. He hears, as it were, the jeers and taunts of the leaders, their hellish laughter. Yet, oh, love divine and beyond all comprehension, his ardent desire is this, that your joy may be made full. Friends, that your joy may be made full. Jesus has the cross before him, folks. He has so many things that are heavy upon his heart, things that he is wrestling with, troubled as no other person in the history of the world has ever been troubled. What is his one concern at this point? That your joy may be made full. What a tremendous, loving, gracious, and wonderful Savior we have that we worship. That is how much he loves you. And so in response to that, how dare we not go to him in prayer? How dare we? How dare we not tend to this means by which he wants to make our joy full? Church family, we, we must be a people of prayer. Folks, what a savior we have in Jesus. What a selfless Lord we serve and worship. I, I hope we will all realize that you and I have every single reason in the world to be joyful every single day of our lives. Because our Lord answers our prayers on a daily basis. If you pray daily, you'll see it. If you pray daily, you will enjoy this. Whenever we pray for the forgiveness of sins, we will have reason to be joyful because we know that we're forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. Our prayers are answered on a daily basis. Whenever our prayers are answered, we have seen, we have reason to be joyful because that answered prayer is positive proof that Jesus Christ 
is alive. That he is in fact interceding for his people at the right hand of God the Father. So as the people of God, we have plenty of reason on a daily basis to be joyful in the Lord. And to grow in that joy. We will grow until that day where we reach the goal, as Jesus says, where our joy has been made full. And, And friends, that's not going to happen until we are in his presence. We we still will feel like there's something lacking in our joy until we see him face to face and we are fully glorified with him in his presence. But until then, there is this promise he gives that he will grow your joy more and more if we would but tend to the means that he has provided. Amen. Please join your hearts with me in prayer. Oh, Father, we consider this a wonderful gift. Father, you have accomplished the work of salvation. Father, though we were sinners, that you you died in our place and took upon the sins of your people and took the wrath of your Father for those sins and gave us life and gave us a life abundant. Part of that life abundant is that we now get to communicate with our Creator, Lord, our, our good, good Father who desires things for his children, who desires to give things for his children. Oh, but we would be a people of prayer. Father, we would just take wonderful advantage of the means you've provided for us to call out to, to you. Lord, I know there's, there's many who are probably walking through difficult times this morning and who are thinking in their minds, I don't see God answering my prayer. And yet, Father, we, we recognize that even in the midst of that, you are driving them all the more to dependence upon you. And Father, that dependence upon you is such a gift because you are impeccable. Your character is perfect. And the more we are dependent upon you, the more we know you, the more we're able to trust you and the more we're able to see how you work all things for the believer's good and for your glory. And that in itself is an answer to prayer. Father, that you would... Convict us this morning. Lord, we, we don't mean to place guilt on anyone for a lack of prayer life. We, we desire for your people to have a tremendous prayer life because it's tremendous for them. Because, Father, you say it's a source of joy and we know that's evidence of Christianity is that we are, we're joyous, that we're joyful people. So, Father, pray you would ignite us to a stronger, deeper, more intimate prayer life with you. Lord, it's one of the most beautiful things about prayer. There probably will never be a point where we pray too much. We can always grow in our prayer lives. And you're faithful to help us and strengthen us and give us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. We love you, Father. We thank you for this gift. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.